0: Hello and welcome to the Fidelity Next podcast, brought to you by Fidelity Investments Canada. This is the fourth episode, and as you may have heard in a prior episode, Fidelity Canada has a long history of involvement with events directly on campus for post-secondary students. Due to the pandemic, we haven't been able to travel to campuses, but hope these Fidelity Next podcasts and live webcasts can bridge that gap and provide you with the information we share during typical sessions on campus. Today, we welcome a special guest, award-winning writer and lawyer, Dr. Hadea Roderick, who is joined by Najma Pilgrim, Human Resources Director and Diversity and Inclusion Lead at Fidelity Canada. To get us started today, here is our host Emily Ananuevo. But first, the views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of Fidelity Investments Canada ULC or its affiliates.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Fidelity Next. I'm, I'm and Nuevo. Research shows that diverse workplaces increase productivity, creativity, and can boost employee engagement wherever you work. Most of us just want to be accepted, feel safe, and work in an inclusive environment, no matter your race, orientation, or cultural background. Today, we're discussing diversity and inclusion in the workplace how to deal with racial bias, and how young Canadians can be a positive force to enact change. We'll also provide you insights on what a career looks like at Fidelity and share information on how to build a successful career. And we have two very special guests joining us on the show today. Our first guest is a lawyer, researcher, and award-winning writer, Dr. Hadiya Roderick, and also on the panel is Nashma Pilgrim, Director, Human Resources and Diversity and Inclusion Lead at Fidelity Canada. Welcome to you both. So happy you can join me today and, and looking forward to our conversation. Thanks for having us. Adia, if I can begin with you, if you can try to unpack and, and explain what diversity and inclusion means in the workplace and, and what it means to you.
2: So for me, I'd like a world where people show up The only thing that really matters is their character and what they can do. But right now in the environment that we have, there's a lot of extraneous factors that don't matter, race, gender, et cetera, that impact people's ability to participate in their organization, to participate in the workforce, move up through the workforce, to get hired. And it's a real shame to me because it means that we're not getting the best and keeping the best. And really, I think for anyone, you know to look up at the top of most of the major corporations in Canada and believe that that represents the best we can do means that you think that talent is unequally distributed between race and gender at a minimum. And you know, there isn't some magical infusion of talent that happens to a particular group right after they graduate from university. Um, you know, women get into university at higher rates than men women tend to outperform men in university, so they're more likely to be on the dean's list, but we see this dramatic flip when you look at the top of most major organizations. For me, diversity is really when the organizations that we have in our society represent who we have in our society. And that's not what we have yet.
1: Yes, and a lot to unpack there, um, and we'll definitely get more into it. During the show, you made made a, a, uh, comment there about um, corporate uh, Canada and and at the top companies we mostly see you know white males and for people that don't know your your background your story, Hadiya, um, you've written many essays and and um, articles for Canadian publications, uh, but one particular one you wrote for Globe and Mail you go into detail in your essay about um, your experience in your words, as the only, um, you know, successful black female lawyer when you entered, you know, the law firm in the law industry, um, you know, several years back. Can, can you go into um, detail about your experience um, as being a successful black lawyer in uh, on Bay Street?
2: Yeah, I mean, I never meant to be a lawyer, but uh, I'm the daughter of immigrant parents, and I don't know about anyone else who has immigrant parents, but there's four acceptable careers, accountant, lawyer, doctor, and engineer, and I really didn't want to do physics, so I ended up as a lawyer. And for some context, I was the I was a lawyer in the largest firm in Canada in their largest office, and when I left, I was the only black woman out of 220 lawyers. My firm had five black lawyers. So we had four men and me, and we had the most black lawyers of any firm on Bay Street, Mm. standing at five out of 220. Um, So there were firms that didn't have any at all. And so this was the kind of environment I was walking into. And originally, so I wrote this piece called Black on Bay Street, it kind of went viral for the Globe and Mail and the piece was actually not supposed to be about me at all it kind of turned into this personal essay about my own experiences but i really actually walked into it intending to write a piece about the state of bay street hiring because i thought the process was very ridiculous at the time you kind of show up for these almost like speed dating basically events of 20 minutes where you'd schmooze with these other lawyers and then someone would give you another interview at the end of this and i remember you know, one of my interviews, we talked about Manolo Blahniks, which are a very fancy stew, and the Leafs. And then I got an interview, a callback interview after that. And I really didn't understand how much of what I was asked would tell them what kind of person I was, what kind of student I was, and what kind of lawyer I would be. So I really went in with the intention of writing this piece about sort of the process, because to be frank, I thought my interviews at Swish LA were harder than my <laughs> become a lawyer which seems like a bit
1: backwards
2: yeah and it's just like a different story kind of poured out of my fingertips when i was writing so i kind of just ended up putting so much more of myself into it as than i meant but the piece really talks about some of the sort of exclusion and otherness and loneliness that i felt like the only um at my firm and this is a very common story i didn't think i was saying anything unique or new that people didn't know, and I got a lot of comments from other people of color being like, "Yes, thank you. Like you've basically written my life down on the page." So great to see that someone's you know making this reality public because it's it's a very personal thing to write about the ways you've been you've been harmed and hurt. Uh, but I'm a Leo, so I'm just like, "Whatever, <laughs> I'll tell you all about my life." And so um, I think I was just right place, right time to kind of deliver that message.
1: No, and it is if you have. People online have a chance to read the essay. Very open, honest, forthcoming. And so you talked about in detail about the hiring process. And, you know, I didn't even know the weeks that you go through if you want as an up-and-coming lawyer and wanting to be hired by a law firm. And you pointed out how you talked about the shoes and, and sports. And, you know, only later did you realize that they didn't really ask you about um you, more of your values and how you be a fit in the company that way. And if I can just switch to Najma uh, now, uh, because obviously Najma is Director of Human Resources. You go through the hiring, you know, part of the hiring process. And I um, just wanted to know from your perspective, being at Fidelity Canada for over 10 years, how have you seen diversity and inclusion evolve and change here at our firm?
3: That's a good question. Diversity has moved from being a grassroots efforts with the introduction of the employee resource groups, which I'll probably be referring to as ERGs going forward, um, to a corporate-wide strategy. So while we celebrate cultural traditions and we create a sense of belonging, the way we do our work is changing because of DNI. And the reality is it's a business strategy that we are executing across the organization. And as a result, we are more of an inclusive workplace culture and, a, and we have a stronger employer brand. Absolutely.
1: And you see on job postings all the time, companies saying that they have an environment for diversity and inclusion. But it's interesting because when you're actually in the you know, hiring process, how do young people just starting out in their career kind of ask about that? Is there really an inclusive environment here and uh, what are you doing to help, um, you know, promote diversity? Um, I, don't, I don't think many students may think of asking that during, during the job interview.
3: Would you agree? Yeah, I would. And I think that's the first start. The first start is to ask questions. So, some of the things we do to maintain an inclusive culture is we do pulse surveys. So that's another way of saying employment engagement surveys, but shorter ones. Sometimes we just ask one question. And it's one thing to ask the question, but then what does the organization do with the information? So for us, we spend a lot of time analyzing the data and then talking about, okay, how can we address our employees' concerns? So that's first and foremost. Are you working for an organization that is asking, how are you feeling? How are you doing? You know, let's let's hear your feedback. And then second of all, our senior team. So how much access do you have to the senior team? So at Fidelity, we do company-wide town halls, we do quarterly business updates, divisional meetings, and and our senior people also do skip-level meetings. It's important to have access to your senior people so you can ask questions and learn more about why the organization is doing what it does and what the direction is. So it's all about asking questions about the things that are most important to you. I could go on and on, <laughs> um, but <laughs> I'll stop there. Yeah, no, and I'll,
1: I'll come back to you, Nashma. But I wanted to go back to Hadia because in your essay, you actually um, uh, you actually mentioned that after you got hired by by the law firm, you were actually part of the hiring uh, process and interviews for for lawyers who wanted to be part of part of the. In- part of your firm. Uh, How was that experience? Because you go into detail about you started, you then started to ask potential candidates questions and that was an interesting process.
2: Yeah, I mean, I wasn't provided with a lot of training, which is interesting because I was one of the biggest gatekeepers into the firm. Now I reviewed half of the resumes from my alma mater law school U of T. I decided who got an interview and then i also was part of the interview team that conducted the interviews and i think a lot of companies are hopefully making sure that those the people who are interviewing are trained but we were left largely left to our own devices i remember one instance where i was with my sort of co co-interview mate and we had 5 minutes between every interview to kind of skim the interview of the resume of the person who was coming in And then we would just point to things, let's ask them about this, let's ask them about this or this. But there was no real thematic structure, like, what are we actually looking for? Mm -hmm. And so as a result, it gravitated towards who did we like, you know, and liking is often based on sameness. And so I fell into some of the same traps. I would look for people who played Frisbee. Because I'm like, all of these people kind of look the same. They all have the same mix of B pluses and Bs and the occasional A, the occasional C. They all kind of blend together. They all do similar activities at law school. So then you start looking for people who are like you. And so I was like, I'm going to build the best Frisbee team of this uh, organization i ever seen. So if I saw someone who had ultimate, I was like, oh, that guy, that person, they look cool. And one of those people actually ended up getting hired. And I had remembered that I had chosen his resume from the pile, largely because we shared something in common. And so I just, um, I'm hoping that this is changing. I know a lot more companies are starting to use more standardized processes. um, But it was was a trippy experience to go from being subject to those questions actually coming up with them now. And now I've been on several hiring committees since then. I use a completely different process that I try <laughs> and trip up a bias um, and making sure that it's really about does someone have
1: the values that line up with our organization and that they have the skills to do the job right but it's interesting how when you're in that world and in that environment you don't even know it but your bias is changing right and if i can take it a few steps back you also mentioned when you were applying for law uh, um, law firms you were sitting there and you were thinking should i whitewash my resume should i actually put my name my my first name there or my middle name you know that. I just, I feel like if you can explain that point, because I feel like many young people on the line might be feeling the same way, you know, just sort of altering in a sense who you are on the paper yeah to get that first, you know, first step in.
2: And it's really unfortunate, but the research shows that if you whiten your resume, you get more callbacks. So there's recent research out of the University of Toronto from a few years ago that showed that. Black and Asian students who whitened their resumes, I believe, got two and a half times more callbacks than if they didn't. And it's a really sad, unfortunate reality. And there's a reason why I didn't put down Hadia Rodrigue when I applied for my last round of jobs. I put down H.J. Rodrigue because they're going to learn that I'm Black when I show up from the interview. Like, I can't hide it. Um, but at least then I get the interview and then I get the the chance to make my case and it really sucks so that's something you have to do or think about doing um and i know at the time i was like well if they wouldn't want me because of my name then this is the place i want to be but it's like one person reviewing your resume they might have unconscious bias they're not aware of and so why am i going to let that unconscious bias of that one person potentially stop me from joining a, an organization that actually might be pretty good and so you know it's, it's an unfortunate reality, but I, I myself, you know, whiten my resume, I just just whiten my name, I don't change any of my experiences. Um, but the research kind of bears it out that if you do that, you have a better chance of success. And I'd like us to
1: get to a world where
2: that is not the case.
1: Absolutely, I agree. What is your approach to understanding the perspective of colleagues from different backgrounds? Najma, if I can go to you first on that question.
3: Well, I think it depends. So if someone makes a statement that I don't understand, I'm very comfortable in asking them for more information and more details because it's important to understand where someone's coming from. But there are times when I may feel that the comment is inappropriate, and so I'm comfortable saying I think it's inappropriate that you made that comment. But most times, people are coming from a good place. They just don't have the information that they need. And the reality is we all have bias. And we all have biases that we that we don't realize that we have, hence the term unconscious bias. And so, yeah, there are times when I have to ask, where are you coming from? Help me understand that. I really don't understand your statement. And once they do, then we can have an open and honest conversation.
1: How about for you, Adia? Um, you know, what's your approach to understanding the perspective of, of colleagues from different backgrounds? Because I know when you were in the, the law firm, <laughs> You came across a lot of situations, um, you know, dealing directly with, with your race.
2: Yeah. I ask questions generally. Um, yeah. And if someone, you know, if someone says something that I don't think is appropriate, I try to get to the root of why that comment came out or why they were thinking that um, and sometimes helping them examine their biases. But I'm a naturally curious person. Um, I would be bored in an environment where everybody was just like me. I I like difference. I like, you know, I like to think I'm an information sponge, and I'm someone who has a sort of continual lifelong learning goal. And so, um, I want to, I want to learn about experiences and people that are different from me because I think it contributes to my growth and my own development, and just generally makes the world a better place if we can kind of understand each other a bit more. So, I embrace I embrace novelty and difference and people who don't think exactly like
1: me. Asking questions and, and, you know, in in a professional manner, I think also comes with feeling comfortable in your environment as well. And if you have the support there and have colleagues who are open minded, it obviously helps. Um, Hadi, if I can stick with you, if you can, um, you know, fast forward a few years into working at the law firm, you actually left law after, you know, a, a couple years. There was a lot of, you described, Um, passive-aggressive, subtle um, microaggressions that, and then it just got to a point where you couldn't take it anymore. Um, Can you kind of explain why you you kind of like left being so successful in it, but you left? Why is that?
2: Yeah. I mean, part of it was that I, I think I had fallen into law largely because I didn't know what else to do with my life. I was like, what do I do with this psych degree? okay, I guess I write the LSAT and go to law school and I did well on the LSAT. So I'm like, okay, I guess this is what I'm supposed to do. So I kind of just joined the profession without actually really thinking about what it was I wanted long-term. And so I do encourage people to, you know, kind of do that, that deep dive early. And so figure out what it is you like doing. How do you like working? You know, are you a person who likes slow and steady? You know, slow and steady wins the race. Are you someone who likes projects? Are you someone who likes to sort of work in bursts and with up times and downtimes? You know, kind of figure out, do you like a lot of people? Do you like quiet time? Do you like to deal with numbers? Like, figure out what the qualities are of what you like. I always like to refer back to um, the show Parks and Rec. <laughs> and there's an episode where April is trying to figure out what she wants to do with her her life next and so they make a list of like the qualities of things that she's enjoyed so she likes working one-on-one she likes um creative problem solving so kind of figuring out what it is that excites you and ignites you and figuring out what careers can satisfy that itch i didn't do that and it's a regret that i have i kind of just went into law because my immigrant parents would be happy and it seemed cheesy and i did well On the lsat and i got into a good law school and so um i think part of it was dealing with these microaggressions and thinking i'm dealing with this nonsense and i don't like the like doing this work or or being in this kind of environment why why should i stay why why stay and it was very scary so i decided to go back to school you know giving up a six-figure job to go down to a low five-figure job as a grad student you know quite a a big pay hit but i i just knew that there was something more that i wanted and if i was going to do have to deal with racism i might as well deal with racism and really love the work i was doing um so i decided i wanted to figure out why people like me could not stay at jobs like this and why it was still like this in the time 2012 uh, why we hadn't sort of gotten our act more together when it came to um, diversity and inclusion. So I went back to my PhD in organizational behavior and studied specifically race and gender in the workplace.
1: Yes, absolutely. And I wanna get into that because after you left law, you became this advocate for diversity and inclusion, helping big companies you know, with the hiring process and, and, and consulting them. Are there best practices for big companies to put into place to enhance diversity and inclusion in the hiring process. Um, Hadiyah, I'll just start with you and then I'll go to Nashma. Yeah, so,
2: you know, making sure that you define what you're looking for start, before you start looking for people. Mm. So the law is particularly bad about doing this. So they just hand a bunch of young first year associates resumes and tell them to pick 20 people who look good, basically, without any really real guidance and these are people who have not done the job long enough to actually know what you need to succeed at the job they haven't even really yet succeeded at the job themselves and so you know some of the the best companies the best things i've seen is where the companies are very upfront about you know there's a lot of ways to be successful but here are sort of like four key attributes Um, so one company i know defines those attributes as um creative problem solving i think entrepreneurial spirit personal impact and inclusive leadership and they're sort of those are the the four qualities are kind of key to being successful here and all of the interview questions that they asked were centered around those things and all the resume screaming they do is centered around looking for those things and it's very clear it's on their website it's communicated at any of the info sessions they have so people know exactly how to kind of show up and show the organization their best selves and how They demonstrate those four qualities. And so I think being very clear about what you're looking for Mm -hmm. is great for the students, but it's also great for you to sort of know what you're actually looking for so you can actually go and find it. But, you know, you go to one place and one lawyer is looking for X and another lawyer is looking for Y and another looking for Z and you kind of end up with this mishmash instead of sort of a more focused, targeted look. Um, I think structured interviews are really important for a sense of fairness making sure that you're not comparing apples and oranges that some people aren't getting softballs and other people are getting harder questions Um, I think that where you can having a task-based um, assessment so there's research that shows that uh, people are hiring coders or programmers and if they give them Sort of an anonymized interview process where they basically have to do a piece of code or write a program, and then they hire the people who have written the best programs. You actually end up hiring more women and people of color than you would otherwise, oh, kind of putting down those screens, so you're not letting bias get in the way of you picking the best people. Those are a few a few ideas.
1: Najwa, what's fidelity doing in terms of incorporating best practices, um, and then? In- and including diversity and inclusion in the hiring process.
3: So before I answer that question, I just want to make a little note about microaggressions. So microaggressions can be so frustrating because Mm. it can be very slight. And you may think to yourself after the fact, did that just happen? Did I really experience that? Should I have said something in the moment? And I just want to put out there that it's okay if you miss it. And it's OK if you figure out later on, I think that was a microaggression directed at me when you are able to address it and you realize it happens and you're able to address it, that's perfect. But there's lots of times where you're going to think back on your day and think, oh, my goodness, I miss that. I miss that. And that's part of the frustration of microaggressions is it tends to make you feel it tends to make you question yourself, and it also makes you feel powerless. So I just wanted to to add that in. But back to your question, Emily. Um, Some of the things that we're doing at Fidelity is really centered around making sure that we are using technology in order to help us to hire the best talent. So, we are using technology to mask names and faces on resumes. Uh, My recruiting colleagues would be so disappointed in me if I didn't tell you about our new investment into an, an augmented writing platform. Say that one quickly. Um, <laughs> <Okay>. quick. <laughs> augmented writing platform. It creates uh, job postings that are gender and generational neutral, so we're looking for ways in which to level the playing field because at the end of the day, what we want is top talent. And when I speak to students, what I remind them of is everybody that you see at Fidelity, this was pre-COVID, um, very intelligent people. But what makes us successful is how well we build relationships, how well we collaborate with each other. That's the true measure of success for us.
1: Honey, if I can go back to you, you talked about um, the example of coding and, and making it anonymous and just whoever writes the best code. Here's a question though coming in, thoughts on video the missions during a recruitment process? Good, bad, could it have its advantages? Should we not even be going down that route? What do you you guys think?
2: Yeah, I think for me, it'd be a question of what are you looking for the video to show you? Are you looking for the video to show you that someone makes sustained eye contact? Um, Are you looking to, you know, their presentation skills? Because there's a lot of research that shows that There are certain cultures where eye contact is rude. And so they might not be looking directly at your eyes because that's something that's associated with rudeness in their culture. And they want to add, you know, want to be deferent and therefore, you know, not stare at people. And I think we pick up a lot of these cues that are really associated with upper middle class upbringing and belonging. You know, a firm handshake, X or Mm -hmm. Y. But just because someone has a limp handshake, does that mean they're going to be bad at their job but no but think about how much importance over time we have attributed to someone having a firm handshake you know maybe someone has has a has a a nerve disorder and they can't grip hands the same way that other people can but they're perfectly confident and so we sometimes use some of these visual cues in ways that we don't even realize that we are doing um and so you know making sure that you have a plan for using video, that you make sure that you're assessing things that you need to assess and not letting things that don't matter kind of creep into the assessment. I mean, I think there is something to seeing how someone speaks and interacts, especially if communication and interaction is part of the job, but making sure, again, you're assessing job skills and requirements and not things that don't matter. So if you're looking to see if I'm wearing a certain kind of suit, You know, or if you if you know, taking video out of it, let's say you have a dinner and do I use the right fork, you know, a lot of the things we judge people are on are things that are actually pretty easily taught. You can teach someone what fork to use, you can teach someone sort of the social etiquette or upper middle class social etiquette they might need to sort of navigate these worlds, but you can't teach someone to be a hard worker. You can't teach Mm -hmm. someone to be driven, you can't teach someone to be entrepreneurial. So again, Look for the things that actually matter that someone needs to show up with on day one, not necessarily the things
1: that you can teach people to do. And we were talking uh, talking uh, in the prep session about the hiring process and the types of questions you're usually asked. And this one stood out to me because I didn't think there was anything wrong with it about talking about um, any traveling that you've done, any volunteer experience that you may have done outside of the country. And um, that may not be sp- the most appropriate question to ask, why is that not really uh, the best question to say, you know, explain to me your volunteer work I- that you've done in India, for example. Why is that question not as good as another question? If you can ex- if explain. Yeah,
2: so a lot of the time people look at resumes like, oh, this person did this fancy internship at X place or volunteered at this country, forgetting that not everybody has the exposure to those kinds of opportunities. And so if we place an inordinate weight on having those opportunities, it's gonna screen out people from a lower socioeconomic class. So again, what you're interested in is what someone can demonstrate to you, and you wanna make sure that, sure, they could demonstrate that with that internship from wherever they went, but they could also demonstrate that with the service job that they held down at Swiss Chalet, right, so making sure that someone who had to work through school or work to support their family while going through school, you know, can still demonstrate those skills and values and abilities that you need and that you're not just looking for markers of upper middle class experiences and belongings to signal someone's appropriateness for the job.
1: Would you agree, Najma? Um, you know, what what advice would you give to students in, in that, you know, interview rounds uh, in terms of <laughs> expressing who they really are and uh, the values that they can bring to a company.
3: I think it's important that they have an opportunity to speak to their life experiences because that's also very important. And that may demonstrate that you are a strong problem solver. That may demonstrate that you're adaptable and that you have the type of skills that an organization can then work with. So it's all a matter of bringing forth what your strengths are and bringing forth the situations that may have helped you to build those strengths. And I encourage, I encourage students to do that because you want to, we talk about, you know, how do you stand out? How do you show the employer who you are? By being yourself and by speaking to your experiences.
1: Easier said than done. You're always really nervous during interviews. That, that I remember. Absolutely. <laughs> What's your story?
2: What's the story of you that shows why you are a good fit for this organization in terms of your values and your capabilities um, and everybody's going to have a different story and everyone has the ability to show um, that they are a person that has what it takes to succeed there and you don't need to have fancy things on your resume um, to do that as long as you can explain why that service job taught you customer relation skills or you know math or thinking on your feet quickly, creative problem solving. You know, you can think about a time when you could demonstrate creative problem solving where two of your coworkers got sick with the flu and you were the only one on shift and you were thrust into a mandrill position, had to figure out a new way to do X, Y, or Z. To me, that would still show incredible creative problem solving under pressure in a sort of crisis situation. And so just knowing that you can take any of the experiences you have and really use them to sell yourself. And it really doesn't matter what they are. We just need to be able to get a sense of who you are and what you can do. And the best way you can do that is by showing what you've kind of done in the past. For students
1: who are starting to look for their first career, what tips would you have? What should they look for in a company?
2: Highly individual, because it's going to be what do you want from a company? It's not the same for everybody and it's really going to depend on your goals and ambitions and and drive and what might be a perfect company for person x might be a terrible company for person y um so it really does take sort of a a sense of taking stock of, of what you actually really want or what skills you want to learn in these next two years and where you think you could best develop those skills i mean You know, you're in your early 20s, the job that you get out of university might not be the perfect job, but you want to make sure it's a job that's teaching you something that you want and need to learn. Um, So looking for a place where you can learn and grow, that would be particularly important to me. And looking at a place where you think you could thrive. And what thriving means, again, is going to be different um, to each person. But what do you need to thrive? and where will you find
1: that? And I think also knowing that it's okay to change career paths as well. We were talking a bit about this. (laughs) You know, we're so, maybe even young people are so set that I have to, you know, get into this company and I have to stick to this career, but it's okay to accept the fact that it may all change, right? Um, Not always easy, but it's reality. I've changed
2: career paths like five times. (laughs) I'm still not sure where I'm gonna be when I grow up so you know i started out um yeah. getting to phd programs in psychology first i was a musician i was in a band i was going to be a musician then i was going to get my phd in psych and i was going to be a psych professor then i decided to go to law school and i was going to be an ip lawyer an entertainment lawyer then i decided i did not like ip and entertainment law and then i decided i was going to become a labor and employment lawyer then i did that and i didn't like that so then i, decided I wanted to do my phd and become an org professor and then I realized I didn't want to do academia, and I randomly wrote this piece. In the uh, applied to a fellowship at the Walrus when I was in my fourth year, got this fellowship, and then became a writer. And then from becoming a writer, and then became a DNI advocate. And then now I'm starting a job in consulting. I'm also writing a novel. I'm also writing a, a screenplay. So. You are going to change. I've changed directions. I changed majors five times. Like I'm very indecisive and I like everything. So I just always feel like I'm being pulled in different directions, but you don't have to know what you're going to be 20 years from now. And you're probably going to end up 20 years from now being something you did not expect. If you had told me five years from now, that this would be my job, I would, and that I would be a published writer and author. I would have probably laughed at you, but here we are. And, here we are yeah
1: uh, <laughs> hey that sounded more like more than five careers
2: careers but um i'm a polymath and i get bored so it's really hard <laughs> for me to stick to one thing
1: nashima i remember we were also talking about um you know you've been f- with fidelity for for over 10 years and it took a while but diversity and inclusion it's it's now a real passion of yours and it's, you know, it's a footprint, it's, it's something that you want to, you know, have part of your career going forward. Uh, can you explain a little bit about why you're so passionate about
3: this? I think your your life experiences really color your view. And so, you know, I've, similar to Hadia. I've had uh, many different experiences that I wouldn't want other people to experience and i think about you know what can i bring to the dni space at fidelity and how can i help other employees to have a better experience and it's important to work for an organization that listens it's important to work for an organization that treats people as individuals and it's important to work for an organization that appreciates your work and rewards you accordingly. But here's the thing, you can only do so much research about any organization that you decide to join. Once you get there, it's really gonna be the culture that makes you stay. And so it's okay if you decide, I wanna do something different, or I wanna go somewhere different. But one of the reasons why I've stayed at Fidelity is because the culture is such that I get challenged. And similar to what Hadia said, I also get bored very quickly. So I'm fortunate that I get enough challenges that come my way, such as this, <laughs> that I get to try new things. And sometimes you know do really well and you know, sometimes not. <laughs> but that's yeah. the whole point. And that's what we all want in a career is to be challenged and to feel um, uh, the excitement of doing something new.
1: Get comfortable with the uncomfortable is what I tell myself You know, every now and then. Um, we have a few minutes left in the show, and I just wanted to get into um, real specific questions when it comes to uh, race and racial bias in the workplace, because I know we were talking about this in, in the prep session. So, uh, um, and I know you talk to a lot of students too, Hadiya. So what should young people do if they come across a situation where there is uh, racial bias? How do they handle that? Because as as a young person at the, at, you know, the professional gates right at right at the beginning of their career they could be scared and nervous that they don't want to cause trouble right so how do they specifically deal with that at the workplace yeah
2: i mean it depends on the severity of the incident you know is it someone making a comment or is it your boss not giving you the promotion that you actually do deserve or not giving you work um document things so i always kind of keep a journal you know, if some if I have a negative interaction, I wanna go back and write myself a note immediately after. So if it, beco- it becomes a continuing issue and there's some sort of investigation later on that I can say, well, here's exactly, I'm not trying to recall it from six months ago, here was my immediate recall right after the event. So um, get in the habit of, you know, just confirming things. So someone says, I want you to do A and B and you say not C, then they say not C. And then you, do, you don't do C. And then later they're like, why didn't you do C? So when I get an assignment, if it's verbal, I always write back saying just to confirm our conversation, you'd like me to do A and B, but you would not like me to do C. And sort of get that confirmation. Um, in terms of its sort of smaller microaggressions and events, so like, you know, kind of peers or coworkers saying things, Um, I tend not to be very confrontational, be like, that's racist, that's sexist, you know, pointing fingers, then people get defensive. Um, I tend, again, I'm a lawyer, I ask questions. I actually play dumb and I ask questions. So, you know, once a a so-called friend of mine said that I wasn't really black and I'm like, well, this doesn't rub off. So what do you mean? What do you mean that I'm not really black? What about me is not black? Because then they have to explain themselves and under, explain where that comment is coming from. And they can't say, well, that's not." I can't, if I jump and say, well, you mean X, and then they're like, well, that's not what I meant, they get very mm-hmm. defensive. But I ask, if I ask them, well, what did you mean? Then they have to either come up with some sort of rationalization or explanation. Right. And oftentimes a simple act of putting it back on them to explain what they mean actually does the best work for you in terms of getting them to confront their own bias and inappropriateness. But for larger things, I think finding someone you can trust, having
1: mm-hmm.
2: you know a mentor or even a group of friends that you go to to sort of bounce off of, like, does this happen? Is Am I sounding right? Because so much of it, as Najma said, is you just kind of questioning your own sanity and experiencing, like, did that actually just happen to me? Um, and so, you know, trying to deal with it, uh, it's, it's hard. It's gonna be very contextual dependent. It depends on the power dynamics at play. Um, but if you're at the right kind of organization and you report that stuff, there should be negative consequences for that person and, and no negative consequences for you.
3: Anything to add to that, Najma? No, I think, she, I think she covered it. I agree, I agree with her points.
1: We have one last question here. Um, uh, Nachman Maybe I could put this to you. How would you recommend students get more involved in diversity and inclusion practices when being hired as a new employee?
3: Find out if the organization has employees resource groups. So we have five and uh, employees have an opportunity to join, but not necessarily because you identify with the group. It could be perhaps you're an ally of the group. And so you can join all five if you'd like. Um, Another thing that you could do is look into opportunities to be a mentor or to look for a mentor within an organization. Um, I can't speak enough about the importance of having a mentor in your career and having a sponsor in your career. Um, and as Hadia mentioned earlier, having that council of, of friends who can help you to make contacts and network within the organization. People only focus on networking when they think about out uh, outside the organization. They should also put as much effort into networking within the organization.
1: You're absolutely right. And then and mentors and, and sponsors is actually a topic we're going to have on Fidelity next um, month. So Yeah, I know, perfect segue into that. But, you know, I only mentorship, I only realized the significance of it until late in my 20s. And it is so helpful to have that support group when you're, you know, trying to navigate the workplace for the first time. Um, about to wrap up here, but and I have so many other questions, but if I could just leave off and and ask you both, you know, what advice would you give your younger self now that you have all these life experiences under your belt. I think it's just really important to tell the young people listening, what advice would you give your younger self with everything that you know now, Adia?
2: Don't do something just because you think you're supposed to do it. Find the thing that makes you excited to get up and go to work. Mm-hmm. Build towards that. You might not get that straight out of university, <laughs> um, but that's what you're working towards. Because uh, we spend so much of our life at work you know, we spend most of our day at work, you know, thinking during the work week, you know, you see your your family, your partner, or your roommates from like seven to eight, and then from when you get home from like seven to ten, but you see other people at work for, you know, eight, nine, ten hours, and so, um, you know, trying to find that balance of, of work that sort of meets what you like doing and sort of where you can really thrive and be your best self and don't just do something because everybody else thinks that's what you're supposed to do. What do you want to do? And also I would tell my younger self to stand up for herself a bit more when she's not being treated right. Yashima?
3: I think I would remind myself, my younger self, that uh, no experience is a waste. And that it's important to be flexible and when opportunities come your way professionally, say yes, even though it's something that you may think may be off the beaten path or not in line with the master plan and throw out the master plan. So just be be flexible with opportunities and you'd be surprised where it'll take you and how much you will learn. And so I think I was a little too focused on got to have a plan, got to do step A, step B, step C. Um, I think it's more you got to just let life come to you. And every time it does, you just show up. Perfect way to end it there.
1: Hadia Najma, I want to thank you so much for joining me today, sharing your insights, your personal stories and advice for everybody on the line. I really appreciate your time today. Thank you.
2: Thanks for having thank
1: us. Thank you, Emily. Uh, Today's show was personally a very inspiring and moving conversation for for myself and uh, comes with a very powerful message about respect and acceptance. And in my view, it truly caps off a significant week of hope and unity and fresh beginnings, as many of us watched the U.S. inauguration ceremony this past week. And I wanted to share a quote with you before we leave from Amanda Gorman, the Young Poet Laureate who spoke at this ceremony. And she said, there's always light if we are only brave enough to be it. Stay safe and healthy. And I'll see you next time on Fidelity Next.
0: Thanks for listening to the Fidelity Next podcast brought to you by Fidelity Investments Canada. You can visit fidelity.ca for details on future live webcasts. Follow Fidelity Canada on Twitter and subscribe to our podcast on your podcast platform of choice. And if you like what you're hearing, please leave a review or a five-star rating. Thanks. See you next time.